Investors like you have a problem. Today, most portfolios only include stocks and bonds. While it's currently performing, it's a strategy that Goldman Sachs predicted in 2023 to underperform for the next decade. Luckily, our sponsor, Masterworks Advisors, focuses on a non-traditional alternative asset, helping over 15,000 investors diversify a portion of their overall portfolios with blue-chip post-war contemporary art. Over 60% of wealth managers surveyed by Deloitte have already integrated art into their wealth management offering. And by signing up at masterworks.com slash advisors with code FREE, you can talk to a registered investment advisor representative who deals exclusively with this alternative asset class. So schedule a free same-day advisory call with Masterworks Advisors just by going to masterworks.com slash advisors and using promo code FREE. That's masterworks.com slash advisors promo code FREE. This advertisement relates to the provision of advisory services by Masterworks Advisors LLC and is not intended to offer or solicit investment in any securities and is not investment advice. Masterworks Advisors is affiliated with Masterworks. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is a more than just podcast production. Robin's Podcast, Season 4, Episode 50. My name is Tim Mitchell, and I am in Woodstock, New Brunswick. Along with Jonathan Kuline. I am also in Woodstock, New Brunswick. We're coming to you live from Woodstock, New Brunswick. We also have Jaime Lupus Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Going good. Different last week, uh, first of all, Vina is the name of the uh, char- female character in The Cage, not Luna, as I said on the show last week. And uh, in that show, the Telosians restore Vina's looks and create a pike-like illusion for her. So the, the character you see walking up the, into the elevator with her is not, in fact, the same pike. It's a, it's a simulacrum. The real pike returns to the ship. Major Barrett also, just I thought was interesting, got third billing on that episode after Nimoy and uh, Jeffrey Hunter. Uh, 13 years before Kirk. 13 years before Kirk? I can't remember why I said that. Oh, no, it takes place 13 years before. Right. Crooks over the Enterprise. All right. And the Apple TV Plus show for all mankind is actually made by Sony Pictures, not by Apple, as I said last week. And they, and Jaime was asking about the days of the show. Uh, last week, uh, they showed the date 1984 in episode three. And in fact, the Newton, Newton message pad, which they use as their sort of video phones, uh, didn't debut until 1993. So... So what you're saying is that if the Americans had lost the space race, we'd have gotten Newtons nine years earlier? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Who, who knows? We could have had iPods. Well, Steve, Steve Jobs wouldn't be dead either, right? So, well, right. yeah. I mean, and actually, it's, it's interesting. If you watch the show in, in the sort of behind-the-scenes stuff, they show newsreels every now and then, and the Beatles are actually getting back together because John Lennon never got shot. 
Okay. Which would have been 1980. 1980, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. There lots of interesting little news things that happen in, in this fictitious verse of... Uh, Does Nixon still resign? Um, trying to think. No, so Clinton loses to a woman. Hmm. So one of the characters from the show becomes the president of the United States, right? Hmm. And she's uh, actually gay. Hmm. All right. So um, in the headlines, I've just got one thing here. Um, Star Trek designer Gregory Jean dies, uh, died recently, and uh, we may not know him, but he did a lot of interesting work on, he was actually on the, the new Star Trek II that never saw the light of day. Uh, he also did a lot of stuff for The Next Generation, The Final Frontier, Undiscovered Country, Insurrection, and Nemesis, as well as work on Deep Space Nine, Voyager. And he's one of the people, you know, the closing, or not, is it Closing Encounters? The one with the big ship, the... Yeah. He made that, he designed that ship, uh, part mm. of that ship. And I actually saw that at the National Air and Space Museum. Or I'm trying to remember if that, yeah, that was that one. I saw one of those at, at the Space Museum. He also worked on Fantastic Four. I don't know which one. <laughs> he worked on Serenity, Avatar, The Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, Oblivion, Interstellar, and also Mulan. So he's quite a, quite a bit of work that he's done on... Um, on that, yeah. And then I've got some, Jonathan's got some sad news for me. Yeah, I, I felt the need to include this for you, buddy. The uh, the news came out this week that the Time Traveler's Wife adaptation on HBO has been cancelled after one season. No! I know you were extolling its virtues. I was actually just telling my wife on our on our trip to New Brunswick that uh, you had given it a, a thumbs up and said you enjoyed it. So, yeah, yeah it's funny that, uh, I mean, it's a strange one. Like, I mean, it's based off the book. I don't know how far you could carry that story hmm. forward or if they were telling the whole book story in one season. I don't, I obviously well, don't he, know. Yeah, well, I think they hadn't got, like, in, in I mean, spoilers, if you're not, if you're going to watch it now, I guess there's no point in not spoiling it for you, but because they're not going to get to this part in the story, but apparently they're not together in the end. Mm. And he dies uh, earlier than expected at some mm. point in his 30s or 40s, right? So those are sort of story points that are in the, that they lead up to, but they never really sort of resolve or finish, right? Mm. So that's too bad. Good show. But there is a movie apparently that came out around the same time. Yeah. That I can go back and watch or, or I could read the book. Uh, my wife did heartily endorse the book. She said it was quite good. Yeah. But she said she read some of the author's other work and didn't enjoy it as much. Oh, okay, cool. All right. Cool. Well, so that's all the headlines. I did, there was actually, there was a, I'll probably link in the show notes here, but I saw something on Facebook about um, horror in Star Trek and all the sort of, you know, there's, I think there's a couple of the scary you know, episodes. Yeah. The scary episodes. Like the one, there's a deep space nine where there's like, you know, this clown guy and, um, or maybe it's, maybe it's TNG, uh, but there's been a few episodes where they get right into the horror of because I mean this episode we're going to talk about today is is pretty much a, it's pretty much Alien <laughs> or Predator or, or Predator. Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So uh, we dive into the main part of the show, which is why we're here, and that's to talk about something Star Trek shaped. And uh, I can do the um, the recap of Star Trek, and then we can dive into. This episode called All Those Who Wander is the ninth episode in season one, and it starts off with Uhura's log, stardate 2510 Mark 6, and she's talking about how her her assignment on the Enterprise has come to an end, uh, and she's tried every department, and, and now she's, you know, talking about leaving, and uh, they're having a sort of a get-together, just send-off kind of dinner in Pike's apartment again. He's cooked meals for them. 
And uh, but before they get to that, uh, she tells that the uh, Enterprise is on its way to deliver vidium power supplies to Deep Space Nine K seven. No, sorry, I'll say that again. It's Deep Space K seven, which doesn't roll off the tongue as well as Deep Space <laughs> Nine does, right? So Pike uh, it tells that uh, Chia, Lieutenant Chia, and Ohura are no, I guess not Lieutenant, I guess Cadet uh, Chia and uh, Ohura are done. They're finished their missions, and they're going to be you know sending off. And they've had quite an impact on the ship. Um, and he also congratulates. He kind of chastises and, and congratulates uh, a new ensign, Duke. Um, also, as a lieutenant now, he's been promoted. And uh, I think it's interesting that they introduced two characters at the beginning of this episode because you know that they're not going to survive the episode. <laughs> da, da, da. Uh, Uhura is bringing her usual self of being a standoffish. She hates goodbye, she tells uh, Oterga. And um, Pike comes over at one point and tells her that, you know, she has in fact made an impact and that uh, maybe she should, uh, you know, consider, reconsider, I guess, uh, whatever. He doesn't tell her that outright, but I think that's the implication. Uh, meanwhile, Spock, who's up on the bridge, uh, pings the uh, captain, says, we got a distress call we need to respond to. And so he says, well, it sounds pretty serious. We should, uh, one of the ships that's been sent out with, a, I guess, a new design has disappeared, and uh, they need to, they need, they're the closest ship to investigate. And uh, so he says, well, let's, let's get science and medical down here and uh, check this thing out. So they have, they have come into his ready room to discuss this. Um, and meanwhile, he's doing dishes as they're talking. And um, La'an shows up. She was off in a therapy session to, to deal with her anger. And uh, she's questions the captain about the fact that why are you doing dishes if we're having a serious meeting? He said, well, you can have two things. You can do two things at once. And so uh, he hands food to La'an and asks Spock to take over the dishes duty, which which is kind of funny, but Spock kind of just, you know, obliged, obliges him just blindly and, and does it. Um, so the Paragon is the uh, ship that looks very similar to the Enterprise. Uh, it's been in deep space. It, made this it has made an emergency landing on a Class L uh, Valero Beta 5, and uh, apparently they say it's a uh, Sombra class ship uh, with parts uh, very much like a Constitution class. And actually, when we see it later on in the episode, it looks just like the Enterprise to me. But uh, so they ask uh, what should, what they should do, and Laon advises they send a landing party. And uh, because of the fact that the Enterprise also has this critical mission to go to um, to bring these power cells to deep 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 space, the deep space uh, station. Before it goes dark, uh, you know, she suggested they do that while the Enterprise delivers. They they take a landing party down to the, to investigate while the Enterprise goes off and, and delivers the power cells. You know, parody back to him that you know you can do two things at once. So two shuttles head down. Uh, the crew complement, from what I gathered, was uh, Pike, Spock, uh, Chapel, Hemmer, Mbega, Laana, Chia, and Duke, and one more, Sam Cook. And Sam Kirk, yes, Sam Kirk, yes. Forgot about him. So Spock tells him there's a storm coming in six hours, and uh, uh, it's, there's an ice storm coming. It's a pretty cold planet, and, and uh, Hammer remarks that uh, it reminds me of Andorra, Andoria. He's got a big smile on his face kind of thing. Um, and um, apparently this ionic interference is blocking the communication, and that's why the ship wasn't able to communicate That you know when it, when it crashed. And, and, of course, now the ship can't communicate with uh, the, the Enterprise as well. Um, and he, he, Spock tells him about this and, and refers to uh, Duke as Ensign, at which point uh, 
Chapel says you now you owe him a drink because apparently there's another game where they if you if you miss call somebody after they've been promoted you have to call you have to buy that person a drink as apology because he's a lieutenant now and you know Spock makes a comment about the fact there seems to be no limit to human drinking games <laughs> and she says yep there's no limit at all so meanwhile they're they're scanning around they can't find any life sentence life signs they, they think it could be interference and then then as they're walking along they come across blood streaks and they realize that uh, maybe it's our friends the gorn are back at it again and then that's where the that's the beginning of the show we head off to the, uh, the intro title screen title theme so getting onto the ship, they find that the environmental systems are down to 20% and the bridge is completely offline and, and someone has hardwired all the controls to engineering. And uh, so Hammer suggests that they could use the warp core for emergency power. So all this sort of these these uh, facts and facts are being relayed to Pike from Spock and Urua and, and uh, Hammer. And he, he remarks that he's brought the right, right people because of their ability to make this quick, quick assessment. So looking for the crew, they're trying to figure out where this the 99 uh, crewmen that were on their ship have gone, and they maybe they were lost in the dark or something like that. And then Kirk, Chaplin, and Chia find the bodies uh, all sort of scattered about and blood blood stained and sort of you know just just basically dismembered and in not a great shape. And who could have done this? One of the remarks, or what could have done this? I guess so. They're listening to the log of the Paragon, and uh, they find that uh, they had found. They mentioned they had found a young girl, sort of similar to like Laan, like where she was like the sole survivor of her of her capture from the, her people's capture of the by the Gorn, a humanoid of some description, and an Andorian. And uh, they decided to bring them on board. They find that the Andorian was infected with Gorn eggs, and uh, which the biofilters didn't detect, which is another da da da. And the Andorian tries to kill himself by by uh, getting himself in engineering and blowing himself up to sort of, you know, get rid of all these corn that, that are inside of him. And that's what triggered the automatic, uh, distress, distress, automatic distress call. And uh, I think the captain who was speaking at the time was saying that uh, if she had any, any choice, she would tell Starfleet to stay away. So it's very similar to like the like, I found it very similar to the beginning of uh, the Alien movie where they find this crashed ship and they have to figure, try and investigate what's going on and there's these you know um, alien bodies that embed embedded themselves inside you and gestate mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So very similar. So Nohura, um, as they're as they're reading the thing, has discovered that there are two life signs down on deck five. So they go to investigate. Um, so Pike, Uhura, Alana. Um, find the un, uh, unknown alien dude and he's got he's got his weapon drawn on them and they assume he may be protecting some someone or something that's what her surmises from his body language and they decide to put their weapons down to calm him down and uh, he leads them into another room where they find in fact a little girl yeah and it's it's a rare circumstance where the the uh Universal translators don't work, right? Usually, yeah. usually there's some way to bridge the gap. I love when they turn to her and say, "Like, what's he saying?" She's like, "That's not how this works." Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> not how linguistics works. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Yeah, because I guess the thing about it is, is that this dude is talking to them, and and the universal translator has no way to fix any kind of any kind of thing on what he's saying, right? So. Um, Meanwhile, Chapel and Spock are discussing, uh, among other things, are discussing about Vulcan temper. And uh, she says, you know, to him in her sort of advisory way that she's always doing with him, you know, um, sometimes it's good to get angry every now and then. And 
Uh, meanwhile, Hammer and, and her are back discussing, as they often do, her path and what she's doing and where she's going to go. Now that she's graduated, what she's going to do. And uh, he says to her sort of wisely, you know, your your real fear seems to be putting down roots. And you, your, your skill is that you're very good at making connections between people. So you should probably consider that in your whatever you decide to do. Um, and Mega says the readings that they have show nothing. They don't find any any uh, signs of um, of any kind of alien or, or Gorn or whatever. And uh, Lahan just digs into the, the kid and, and says, or, or whose name is, I've got Miranda written down, but it's Oriana. It's Oriana, yeah. Yeah, Oriana. Mm -hmm. uh, she asks her, you know, where's the Gorn? What have they done? And all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, it's funny because Mega jumps in and says, stop, you know, harassing my daughter. Then he realizes his mistake and says, "You know, I, I meant I meant the girl." Um, and uh, she, uh, Lana says that basically, the, the to her, these are are basically refugees from from the Gorn planet, um, somehow released or whatever. Um, so the, the little girl calls the the alien Buckley, and uh, Buckley starts wheezing and uh, coughing and whatever. And uh, Chapel starts to investigate him and notices some, some sort of oozing sort of blood-like stuff underneath the, the seams of his clothing. And the girl looking at this and seeing, recognizing what's happening, cowers behind the corner and, and puts both hands over her mouth to prevent herself from screaming or bursting out. And of course the birth, the Gorn, just like in the, in the dinner scene in the alien, uh, burst out of him and immediately attack, attack Chia. And then they start attacking each other. And, and uh, meanwhile, Chapel runs and jumps onto a medical bed and immediately turns on a containment field to protect herself. And then starts, you know, after it settles down and they run away, calmly goes looking for the little girl. So meanwhile, one of the uh, Gorn that got, gets loose attacks Lieutenant Duke uh, in front of Pike and Spock, who've gone to help him with uh, some burns. And, uh, you know, Pike says, grab a hold of him, and he grabs a hold of him, and, and as, as Spock does, uh, the aliens, or the alien, the creature, the Gorn, whatever, drags uh, Duke away, and, and Spock's just left there looking at his hands, covered in blood, wondering what's going on, right? Uh, so anyway, Chapel continues to look for the girl, and uh, or Alana uh, sort of does a, a count in her, in her head. She says, well, we saw four Gorn born. Uh, one of them got killed immediately by the other Gorns, and so the three will grow and start to fight for, to establish dominance until there's one, you know, sort of leader, the alpha one. Um, and somehow these, these Gorn have found a way to avoid uh, the Starfleet sensors, so they have no way of finding them, so they just have to mentally count them. Um, so Laana and Chapel go looking for the girl, and they find her in the coldest part of the ship, because apparently the Gorn hate cold, and Lana comments that's where I would go looking for them. Um, Kirk wants to run for the shuttle and, you know, make a run for the shuttle and get out of there, and, and Hammer makes a comment, uh, oh, uh, and at that point the comms come back online, because, uh, um... Over has been working on them, and so Pike calls all of the all the crew to sick bay now that they've they've found that it is in fact a Gorn, and they need to get to gather the crew together rather than having them separated. And unlike the movie Alien, where they all separate and get taken out by one by one. <laughs> um, so a large Gorn attacks Hammer and uh, kind of like spits at him and, and hits him in the neck. And Hammer remarks that he's having trouble sensing them as well, even with his telepathy. Right. Um, and then Kirk, you know, and, and Spock makes some sort of like fascinating comment or interesting or whatever. And Kirk sort of, Kirk gets angry at him. This is Sam Kirk, not Captain Kirk or William, whatever, Tiberius Kirk, James Tiberius Kirk, his, um, his brother. 
attacks Spock and calls him a heartless, pointy-eared computer. You know, which uh, Pike, you know, hey, get that out. Anyway, so like he's he's already starting to show some of his vitriol for, for Vulcans. Yeah, he's doing his best uh, Bones McCoy, right? That's yeah. something like Bones would have done in the original series. True, true. Yeah, yeah. So they decide they have to kill the Gorn before they grow too big, because by the time if they they, they wouldn't be able to take on an adult Gorn, according to Laana. And uh, so uh, she says, "We need to we need to get to we need to get them to attack us." And so we we you know they can't aggress aggr- they can't resist aggressive behavior. So we have to get angry with them and that kind of stuff. So uh, Spock gets uh, finds one and and it's not responding to him. So he decides to uh, you know. I guess as a way of, of turning off his Vulcan calmness and, and turns on his Vulcan rage and attacks the, uh, attacks the Gorn and, and um, gets, it, uh, gets it in the corner. And meanwhile, another one starts coming after Spock when it notices this and tries to box them in, and at which point uh, Sam Kirk pulls him back and behind a, a door and, and uh, rescues Spock for all intents and purposes. And the two, the two uh, uh, Gorn take care of each other, I think, right? Well, one kills the other, yeah. One kills the other, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So Lana just uh, uh, Lan gets uh, one to chase her as she's running uh, running down a hallway and she jumps into a pod, which then slams shut and then Hammer, uh, who's also on engineering, I guess, um, blasts it with a freezing ray or spray or whatever and and, uh, and basically becomes frozen. At which point, you know, of course, she climbs out and smashes it with a shuffle, as you do. Um, and then uh, Hammer realizes that uh, he's he's this uh, the spit that he's uh, um, been hit with. He knows his body pretty well, and, and he definitely feels that he's got the Gorn has infected him, and so he needs to go and, and uh, take care of himself. And they're all like, you know, don't do it. We'll find a way to cure you. And he's like, no, no, I have to go outside. So he takes uh, he goes and stands. I think he just goes out. He doesn't take a bomb with him, but he goes and walks through the force field, and he's standing on the edge of the ship and saying his goodbyes to them kind of thing. And, and he turns to Ahura and he says, Ahura, you know, make a home for yourself among others and you'll find more joy than sadness. And, uh, and that's his advice to her to, you know, sort of give up on trying to figure out where she's going to go and just, you know, find some people, get with them. And then he just jumps off the ship and you see like this little tiny body falling into the abyss. Yeah, very dramatic. Yeah. And then you see the, the Enterprise towing the Paragon back to Federation space with a, with a tractor beam. Now they cleared all the Gorn off of it. And they all, you know, they're all lamenting about losing him and what he's done for them. And, and Uhura talks about how, you know, he's kind of helped her get through her her sort of broken state. And, and his, because he mentions in a couple of episodes ago that his purpose is to fix what has been broken. And so he's done that. Um, so in the, in the sort of ceremony for him, uh, you see Spock leave and Chapel goes after him and he's, He's having trouble controlling the leftover emotions now that he's released them in himself, and uh, he's kind of punching walls. And and uh, he kind of, you know, when Chapel approaches him, he kind of grabs her to hold her back, and and uh, she explains to him that you know these these emotions are you know like the fact that you're a Vulcan is that you you can't control them. That's the problem. What it is is it, these are what make you human. And she gives him a big human hug, <laughs> and that seems to resolve his his uh, issues, right? And uh, as we leave this, so we've lost we lost Hammer already in the show, and then Lana comes up to uh, Captain Pike and tells him that she's got a lead on Oriana's family, and she wants to leave and and go outside of Federation space to uh, try and track down this family. And he asks, she asks basically for a leave of absence, you know, or decommission me or whatever. And so Pike just sort of says yes, you know, and then and come back to us, you know, when you can, kind of thing. And uh, 
as we as the show ends, we see her going up to the bridge, and she turns towards the comm station where we find you know Nichelle Nichols, you know, a few years later. Uh, as we fade away, so obviously Ohura uh, uh, has decided that she she's going to try comms as a career and become the communications officer, and that's where the episode ends. Mm-hmm. I was uh, bummed to see Hemmer go out because um, I I liked his uh, his personality and what he brought to the show. Uh, it seems like they gave him an arc here though to set Ohura on the right path to where we where we know she ends up right there in the comms chair yeah it's a bit of a sacrifice though right yeah yeah he uh lieutenant ripley's himself at the end of uh, (laughs) alien (laughs) three yeah it's uh there's a lot of echoes of other things in this one which we joked obviously about it being a little bit of uh alien or aliens there's definitely predator in there because the the way that we see the oh the the screen yeah the screen when we're supposed to be seeing it from the gorn point of view looked very predatory and then the way that they sort of move and attack felt very much like the velociraptors from jurassic park right Mm. they kind of way more so than what we see in the original series when like an adult gorn wearing clothing is attacking speaking to them in the microphone (laughs) yeah yeah Mm -hmm. very different yeah, people were wondering about that online, but I'm like, well, let me let me introduce an idea to you, right? Because we were like, how do these beasts become, you know, something that Kirk is going to axe chop at some point in the future? And I think, <laughs> you know, and they clearly we've seen that they uh, they can pilot starships and and plan out things. And I'm like, well, maybe they're meant to be kind of like uh, frogs or butterflies, which. You know, if you you show like just go go pick a young child who's never like seen these things and be like, hey, you see this tadpole? You see this frog? Yeah, they're the same species. And you see this caterpillar and you see this butterfly? They're the same species. So they're like, what? No, you're a liar. They're not even closely the same. At least you know, puppies turn out to be dogs and kittens turn out to be cats, right? But maybe there's some sort of uh, metamorphosis that happens where these uh, gorn go from like you know, crazed uh, animals into capable thinking beings that know physics and calculus. Yeah, it definitely feels like it seems a little short-sighted to assume that, I mean, they established right off the hop, Lon says that they are super intelligent even at birth, right? Like they're very, very intelligent uh, species. So it's not really that far to figure. I mean, the ones we saw using like incredibly reasoned thinking and behaving, you know, the way that they were, were like hours old. Of course, if these things live a little longer and they're that smart, they would be able to manage those things. I think you just have to like realize that they're on like a super trajectory. You know, human beings were obviously were slow developing species but these ones clearly come out really smart and then continue to be really smart so i don't think it's a huge leap to see them becoming the interstellar traveler creatures if this is what a newborn is like right yeah 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 Yeah, it was a strange episode you know obviously this is the this is the penultimate episode we've got one more in the season Hmm. so you know, I remember hearing a comment from one of the showrunners who sort of said, you know, we weren't ready to bring Scotty on right off the hop. This oh, yeah. obviously sort of clears the path with, with Hemmer's death, maybe either next episode, but more likely. Oh, because it gets her to Lon and... Yeah, I mean, Hemmer. so I don't know. Who was the security officer on, on the original Enterprise? There really wasn't anybody identified. Like Spock that. or Scotty. Scotty was sort of in charge of that. He was like the red shirt leader, right? Yeah, I guess. So, so he was kind of both of those jobs, right? So maybe this is all just, you know, the 
two characters have their arcs. They're pretty satisfying arcs. All things oh, being equal, there's no more red shirts on the bridge crew, right? Mm, well, who are yeah, but I mean, Lana wore one. Yeah, and and Hemmer wore one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. So I I think this is you know in one way even I was like I mean they kind of telegraphed the Hemmer stuff a little bit that you know maybe he was I did I didn't necessarily think he was going to die but I thought there might be some sort of like something big happening there. Uh, I mean, Chia and Duke were doomed from the moment they introduced them and gave them names, but. Yeah. The yeah, I, I, having this sort of be all sort of set up for Hemmer to have this arc where he sort of helps Ahura find herself is pretty satisfying. I thought all things being equal. I mean, I, I agree with you, Jaime. I think he was a good character, and I would have liked to have seen him do more. But uh, I think if we reflect on sort of the beginning, middle, and end of what we've seen, it's it's a, it's a good one season arc for a character. He's he's a memorable character. And and beyond that, to obviously have the the actor portraying him be you know visually uh, impaired and be the first performer to be visually impaired on the show that's a nice milestone was he, as was well. Was he actually? Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Oh. And I, yeah, but then I felt a little different about Lon in that the fact that they introduced her as you know uh, you know her last name and the legacy that that brings and everything yeah. else, and that if she leaves this and doesn't come back, that feels unsatisfying. Right. In a different way. Like, Hammer, I feel like I never, like, obviously I'm disappointed. We'd like to see the character more, but his arc is a satisfying one. Her arc without more doesn't feel satisfying. Yeah, but, she, but the thing about it is, like, in season two or whatever, the Botany Bay episode, it won't fit with Nguyen Singh being there. No, of course. But then she could still be there on the ship for years to come. Are we supposed to be sort of satisfied with her arc? And I don't even know for sure that she, this was her last episode. Who knows? But. If this is the last time we see her, are we satisfied that we sort of met her? She was, you know, angry. She had this thing against the Gorm. We got some of her backstory. She's now going to help this other girl reunite with her family in the same mm. situation. Is that a satisfying arc for either of you? No. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Is Do we know if there's any um, real-world implications for the actress? Like, is she signed on for something else? And so they had to, to write her into a special guest star for season well, two did, or something? Did. Yeah, I don't think, I think now that you have these sort of series, I don't think they're writing them in a sort of episode by episode kind of way. They probably have the whole season written. So when you sign the contract, you know that you're going to leave, your character's going to die, your character's going to go off to space or whatever. Because you're right, it, it, it is a lot of investment for us as an audience to sort of get attached to people like Laana and, and, um, Hammer, and then and then you know to not have them, they're they're kind of pivotal in the show. Also, I mean, does this also lead them opportunity to have the the Strange New Worlds canceled after season one and not leave loose ends to many? You know, because I mean, there's there's also if you look at the cage, which I'm going to talk about in in the picks or in the in the watch list. Um, there's the older Doctor dude. That's how they fit him in, and you know, like the the bridge crew on the the cage are quite different than what we have here. Other than number one and Spock. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there's still room to grow and they could introduce entire new characters next season that have seasons long arcs and then still leave before we yeah. get catch up to where the original series picks up. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it, I'm just taking a quick scan around. I, I don't see anything about her why or her leaving or anything like that. I just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange thing. It's a strange arc. I'm still, I, I until I see characters, you know, die 
in the way, spectacular way, like we saw Hammer die, obviously the door is open for them to come back. So it's possible that, you know, her story arc is that this is the end of it, but then she dramatically returns next season or who, who knows what. I, I don't think that's out of the question. But I, again, I thought she was great. I thought she was a really good uh, performer. And I think her character was interesting. One of the more interesting new characters they introduced. And yeah, it'd be disappointing if this is all we sort of get from her. And one episode to go. Yeah, it seems like a short season still, even 10 episodes, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We used to get 22 episodes per season. <laughs> yeah, well, but then we also used to do the rule of threes too, right? So if you had 22 episodes, you got... Three good uh, ones, three crap ones. And yeah, you got seven good ones, seven okay ones, and seven crap ones. And seven, yeah, short leaves. Yeah, so I'm happier that they do these nice tight seasons. Like, mm. as I said last week, like last week was not my favorite episode, the one where they did the whole, you know, uh, medieval theme in the ship and stuff like that. But even that was a good episode. It wasn't, you know, like they haven't made a bad one yet, which is yeah. pretty impressive. Um, I can't say the same about Picard and I can't say the same about Discovery. Both of those have had duds. Hmm. I, True. They're so far. I haven't, there isn't a bad episode of, of Strange New World. Even last one? Again, I didn't like it as much as the other ones, but it was a good episode. We definitely got some progress on Mbenga and his his character arc, and I'm glad that they touched on that again this one. I like that they're doing that in so many of these. Like, they did it in Disco and Picard, too. It's not just, like, one and done, like, oh, well, that's clap our hands off, that's behind me. They're actually, like... Yeah, I'm yeah. still struggling with some of these things. Well, I mean, the original series, it was the nature of the way TV was produced at the time. They basically would write one episode and yeah. it was self-contained, you know? Yeah. But this is, I think this is the best of all worlds because so far, Strange New Worlds has been episodic television, yeah. but there is character growth and there is ties that bind the whole thing together. Again, we talk about Hammer's arc from episode one to episode nine. Hmm. There's progression for him. You know, episode we, under- two. we understand. Hmm? Episode two, he wasn't even in episode one. That's true. He doesn't come to the end, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we, we definitely got some, some progression and, and the same with Lon, right? Were you guys able to see the preview for episode 10? I don't know how you guys encounter those. I don't know if you have uh, ready no, available somewhere. So No, they haven't put those out yet uh, on, on the Crave. They don't put those on there. Okay. So, it's interesting that uh, unless there's a, a pretty wild turn in episode 10 the the tease for cyborg looks like it is unresolved this season because the next episode the the ultimate episode of season one here is apparently going to focus on the pike prophecy just given the preview that they gave yeah yeah, I wonder if the Cyborg thing is meant to be something they're going to build on in in coming seasons, or if that was just supposed to be like, oh, we acknowledge that he exists, so therefore it makes sense that Star Trek V makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I wonder I wonder about that, too. But it, it, it's the same thing. Like, I, As much as I'm really, really enjoying the show, and I am, I think this is one of the best pieces of Trek we've seen so far since sort of the Trek revival, but there is going to be some challenges. Like they've already delved into the relationship between uh, Spock and his fiance, which we know doesn't really come to a head until the original series. Right. So how do you end that satisfactorily for people who haven't necessarily watched the original series, but are watching this and enjoying it? How do you, how do you get that to a place where it makes sense to conclude their arc? And there's a few things like that. Again, the chapel Spock relationship, some of these things, I'll be curious to see how they try and land them because they can't just be focused on get us bridges to 
the original series because some of these arcs don't finish till the original series, so they can't wrap them up here. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are some inconsistencies, though. I mean, Spock is very cold and, and oof in the original series. Here, he's a little bit more emotional, exploring yeah. his his roots and understanding emotion and stuff like that. Whereas in the original series, for obvious reasons, he's more straightforward Vulcan, you know. Mm-hmm. So just to be mystery, mysterious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there remains, remains to be seen. It's hard to it's hard to sort of see this stuff fit into you know where we come from. Again, the prequel problem. <laughs> the prequel problem. Well, back to the prequel problem. Back to the prequel problem. <laughs> to rename this podcast the prequel problem. Yeah. How about uh, we talk about Miss Marvel now? Ms. Marvel. Okay. Um, I will just give a quick rundown on Ms. Marvel. So we pick this one up after the end of uh, episode three, where we have both... Uh, Kamala and her grandma having the same vision of this train and her grandma saying, you have to come to Karachi. You have to come here and and we have to work through this together. So we pick this one up on the flight to Karachi. She's on the plane. For some reason, she's not sitting right next to her mom. She's sitting like with a space in between them, which I took to mean that her mom was like, I'm still mad at you and I don't want to sit next to you. But it was kind of funny. Of course, the last flight flight they could find, right? Yeah, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe. But it was, uh, yeah, a little funny scene where, you know, they agree that they're going to sort of, you know, uh, put put aside the, the bad feelings after the wedding and, you know, what's going on. And they're going to try and enjoy their trip to Karachi. They land in uh, the city and the, the cousins come to meet them and they take them to uh, their uh, to Kamala's grandma's house where, uh, you know, there's a, a really nice, you know, uh, she gets the tour around and she sees that her, her, her nanny, her grandma is, you know, painting her memories because she has all these you know, memories of her childhood and memories of the partition between India and Pakistan. And, you know, she's sort of, you know, trying to sort of figure out, uh, you know, try and dissect her past. And uh, it leads to a really good conversation between Kamala and her grandmother, where she sort of says, you know, so so this this bangle, what's going on with it? What's going on? And, you know, am I a djinn? And her grandma responds very bluntly, of course you are. But why, you know, that's just that's just genetics. What does that have to do with anything? And of course, you know, it's it's not the answer that Kamala is looking for. She's pretty upset at, you know, finding out that she, yeah, maybe she's not, you know, a human being and she's not sure what she is. Um, and yeah, they talk about, you know, she talks again about the, the miracle, the trail of stars that uh, her grandmother followed back to her dad on the day of partition to get on the right train to get to Karachi to make sure that she could be safe. And um, from there, we, we sort of pick back up this, this whirlwind tour of Karachi. We, Kamala's cousins come to pick her up and uh, they, they're all going to this boat club. And then, of course, uh, Kamala's wearing jeans and they're not allowed inside the club because the boat club doesn't have jeans. And so they're sitting outside and they're miserable and they're not really happy with her. And she's sweating. And then, you know, one of her mom's friends pops by and sort of says, oh, you're sweating. It must be because you're wearing those jeans. She's like, no, it's because of the, the pani puri that I'm eating and I'm <laughs> I'm cooking. So, again, another sort of illustration of the fact that she's an Americanized, uh, you know, a person of Pakistani descent, right? And so she and her cousins are, are touring around Karachi, and um, her cousin makes a point of pointing out that she's an ABCD, right? She's an American-born, uh, American-born, was it American-born, confused Desi? That's what it is, confused Desi. 
Uh, Desi is a person who's obviously who's Indian who is not living in India or Pakistan, a person who's of Indian descent or Indian Pakistan descent, but not living there. And yeah, so she's, you know, a little miffed that they keep sort of treating her like she's very much an outsider, which of course she is. She was born in America and has, you know, American life experience. And this is all new to her. Mm -hmm. Uh, While they're doing their tour, she sort of says, you know, uh, how about we go look at the train station? And they're like, "Um, how about you go look at the train station? We're going to go and meet up with our friends and you can catch up with us later. Uh, At the train station, she's sort of poking around. She's trying to sort of figure out if there's any clues that she can find there related to the train in her vision. When she's there, this uh, this sort of mysterious uh, young man with a red mask comes out and, uh, you know, they, they have a little 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 superhero tussle where he's you know throwing knives at her and she's using her powers to block them. And she's definitely showing a lot of progress from the very inexperienced version of her that we saw in the last couple episodes. She's using the, the, the uh, ability yeah, to, yeah. yeah, she's making shields and she's using platforms and yeah, she's definitely coming along. Um, she drops the funny line where he's like, you know, you're, you're, you know, pretty good fighter for, you know, uh, an, an American. She says, how do you know I'm not Canadian? Which I thought was really funny because obviously uh, Iman Vellani is Canadian. I thought that was a great line. Um, anyway, it turns out that, um, you know, they're on the same side. The two of them uh, are, are uh, take off out of there and they are um, going to... Uh, he takes her to the to the hideout when they she finds out about the red daggers, which is this secret society that are used uh, to keep people safe and also to uh, sort of keep the the hidden dimension hidden. And so she finds out that there's this sort of alternate dimension that overlaps with ours, and it's behind the wall of Nur or light. And um, yeah, she basically is is trying to sort of figure out, you know what this sort of, how this all sort of ties into her and her family's backstory and everything else. We cut to the, uh, the supermax prison where they have transported the clandestines, the, uh, the, the gin who, uh, who got captured by damage control at the end of the last episode. And, uh, they're held apparently for about five seconds before they, you know, beat up some guards and escape. Uh, not my idea of a supermax prison, if that's the case. That seemed awfully easy to get out of. There's like mm-hmm. two guards. There's not even enough guards to line up for the number of people that they're escorting. It's bad math. Right. But, uh, yeah, so that they all escape. And beyond that, as they're escaping, they leave Kamran behind. His mother basically says, we can't trust him. He clearly was there to protect Kamala. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're out of the gang. And so he gets kicked out. We go back to Karachi and um, we find out that the young man who's wearing the mask, his name is uh, Karim, but he goes by Kimo. He takes uh, Kamala down to meet some friends and they're on the beach. They have this bonfire. They're eating biryani out of a bag, which is really interesting. Um, but she's, she's, she's all worried that it's going to be spicy, but then she finds out that it's really good and she's really enjoying it. And so you get that sort of connection that she's like, yeah, this, these are my people. I get this. Okay. And um, yeah, so she goes and um, she is doing that. Meanwhile, back at her house, there's a sort of conversation going on between her mom and her grandma, her Ami and Nani. And they're talking about, uh, you know, Hey, maybe it's time for you to come live with us in America. Maybe there's, you know, uh, you know, time for you to stop living in this big mess. And, you know, they talk about why she left, why, why, uh, um, 
Kamala's mom left and she's like, well, you know, everybody was making fun of me because they thought my grandma or my mom had these crazy theories and, and, you know, I needed to get away from you, frankly. And so it's, you know, it's good scene, kind of cathartic for the, you know, you can tell that her mom's kind of got some stuff going on and some issues with her mom and stuff. So it's, it's good to get the backstory on that. Uh, we go back to the headquarter of the Red Daggers, and uh, that's where we see Kamala gets her shawl kameez, the, the the sort of very light but very durable vest that she wears, which is, uh, for people who are fans of the comics, is part of her comic outfit. Um, so again, we still haven't seen her. We've seen her get the masks that she got from uh, Bruno, and then we've seen her get the shawl kameez. But... She's slowly putting together what we recognize as her her costume. Uh, at this point, you know, in a in a stunning twist of fate, the clandestines have apparently flown from America to Pakistan in like a nanosecond and attack. And they uh, they go in there. There's this you know huge chase scene, really well done, good chase scene I thought, where they're sort of chasing them through the streets of of uh, what is supposed to be Karachi, but apparently was filmed in Thailand, and uh, they. They have this whole, you know, uh, we've got to split up. Kamala steals the truck at one point and runs one of them over. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. Um, we um, end up with Walid, the leader of the of the, the Red uh, Daggers, getting involved, and he's trying to help them to escape. Najma, the, the Kamran's mom, ends up killing him as part of the, you know, he basically makes the call to, I have to save them, so he uses his last two knives, throws them into the wall, they use those to escape, but then he doesn't have anything to defend himself, and Najma kills him. Um, and in the same um, interaction, the one of the clandestines, the guy with the huge club, ends up getting killed too and as part of this we also end up with uh you know kamala is uh trying to defend herself and the bangle that she wears on her wrist that helped unlock her powers gets stabbed she finds herself seemingly traveled back in time to the day of partition and she finds herself in india back standing in front of that train that she had in her vision and it's the last train to Karachi and she's like, what the heck am I doing in 1948? Yep. And, uh, yeah, so time lost, time lost Kamala is where we end the episode. Timey-wimey. Timey-wimey. It had to be coming. I mean, that train vision seemed like it was sort of telegraphing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What'd you think, Jaime? I, uh, I like the episode. Um, I, have noticed a pattern where you can like honeypot our main character <laughs> like if, if you've got like a, an attractive dude she is like willing to trust you no questions asked <laughs> right? it sort of worked out it sort of worked out like she turned Kamran against his mom and this guy was like you know willing to defend her to the death so she's she's actually doing okay batting average wise yeah yeah it's, it's not uh it's not been a, a real problem yet but it does seem like a weird weird character flaw that is uh, somewhat unique to a teenage uh character so uh I'll go what's what's that. the what's the male female equivalent to a honeypot by the way is it still honeypot i i think so i think so i'm not honeypot's sure it's an it term too right is it yeah it's like how you catch spammers uh-huh. you give them something in a form that doesn't really mean anything and have them put the information in it ah Kind of like, you know, get the bear to come after the honeypot. There you go. There you go. The other thing that I think I saw people online, they're like, oh, look at this, this weird flaw. Like, you know, she arrived, she and her mother arrived at Karachi airport in, uh, 
somewhere pretty pretty late at night because the mother even says uh to the grandmother oh you shouldn't be awake right and when they arrive by car to the house it's morning you know it's somewhere around a daybreak and i'm unfamiliar with with pakistan to be honest but from the many folks i've known who've gone to india you're not necessarily flying into mumbai and calling it good it's like now we're making the several hour trip to get to our actual oh, yeah. village so i'm like oh, it's not unreasonable yeah, it's like that you have to drive a train across the city right. yeah yeah and karachi yeah. is massive okay, i mean Karachi is it's like 15 million people, and it's very spread out. It's a yeah, but I mean, like to go from Mumbai to Calcutta is like a, it's like a two-day train ride. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I mean, I think the idea is that her mom's supposed to be in Karachi. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think even still, I think the idea is that it probably takes a while to get back to her house. But I did notice that the time change, and thought that was a bit odd. Yeah. Yeah. They don't specify exactly what time. So if it's you know uh, five in the morning. When they've arrived, it's not unreasonable that, you know, an hour, hour and a half drive, it's been daybreak. I don't know what typical, you know, daybreak is, especially that time of the year. But I'm like, yeah. I mean, if they showed it and it looked like high noon, I'd be like, whoa, wait a minute. What happened here? <laughs> but yeah. showing up from late night to, you know, telling the grandma, you probably shouldn't be awake. You probably should be asleep. Feels like it was at 9, 10 p.m. Feels like it was, you know. Your 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 flight from the U.S. sucks coming in flight time wise, right? Yeah. So the way that they've set this up, is there any doubt that the whole point is that she goes back in time, creates the creates the the um the, the path of stars, the trail of stars that leads her? Oh, like that's got to be it, right? Yeah, I think so. What's unclear to me is if she's going to knowingly fulfill that uh, that time loop. Or if she's going to be achieving some other goal and it just, you know, through fate or whatever you want to call it, ends up leading her, uh, her great grandmother to the right spot. Her grandmother. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it may not be intentional, but it, I think it's, I think it's guaranteed that she does it. It's, it's the circumstances I think is, yeah, I think mm -hmm, it's a good point. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the fact that she sort of appeared there, I was like, oh, okay. So she's going to fulfill the, the prophecy of, because they mentioned that the path, the trail of stars, like three times in different episodes, like clearly she is part of this legacy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Still good. I thought, um, so apparently they didn't film this in Karachi, which is not surprising. They filmed it in Thailand. Uh, I, I saw a, a brief interview with... Um, uh, Imam Balani saying like it was as hot as it seems in those things. She's like it was like the hottest place I've ever been in my life. Again, she grew up in Markham, so sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, I thought it was like really like interesting to sort of you know yeah like take take it away from New Jersey City, take it away and do like a, something that's completely different. Especially because it's that beautiful juxtaposition of like she's from Jersey. That's in her mind. That's where she's from. That's her people. That's what she's used to, to have her go to the place where her family's from and have it feel foreign for her, the food, the, the, the you know, the, the culture that it's foreign to her is I think really interesting. It's a really interesting way to, to sort of do that. We, you know, the fish out of water thing is not uncommon in storytelling, but it's interesting to see it flipped by having somebody who's obviously a person of color and has a family that's, you know, got their connections to these places, but she doesn't. I thought that was really well done. Yeah. Yeah. So how does that compare to the books? There's a similar story in the books, but not the same. They, they've really kind of gone a different path from what I read. I, I actually, I brought, I brought the books with me to catch up because I haven't read the book after. The, I read the first book, not the second one. So, mm. Is it um, 
typical to get biryani in a bag? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I've never seen it. Uh, okay, okay. Well, so that's, that was like not just her, her Americanism, Jerseyism, that, that is like not a necessarily typical thing. Like, I honestly don't know. But then we saw that in, uh, if you remember the episode of Moon Knight, where they're supposed to be in Cairo, uh, at one point, uh, is it Layla? Shows up and she's drinking from a bag. She's basically got a straw jammed in a bag, and that's how she bought street drink in Cairo, right? So again, I think they're kind of, yeah, trying to use some, like, you know, culturalisms and and localisms so that it Mm -hmm. seems more authentic. Do you guys do that uh, in in Canada? Do you just... You know, go down to the store, get a bag of milk, and <laughs> puncture it with a, with a straw and drink straight from the tap. Is that how that works? Cause... I'm I'm not going to lie to you, Jaime. I'll be honest. I know we take a lot of flack, and it's really, it's only in Ontario that we have the bagged milk like that. Yeah. Other provinces, like, I'm, we're here in New Brunswick, they have jugged milk, just like like the States does. But I first had it in Montreal, though. Yeah, I, Riviera, I think I don't think it's everywhere. I think it's just in certain spots. But yeah. the bagged milk thing, I got to be honest, when I was a teenager and I was like growing and had like that need for protein. I'm sure you both had that experience when you were a younger person where you're just like, I need to drink a, a bunch of milk. We would legitimately do that. We would just like knock the tab off it and just grab one of those bags and knock back. Really? Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. We did that. Oh, so, yes, the answer is yes. So I had warned you guys last week that the Boys Herogasm comic book was pretty far over the top. Uh, how how far did it go in your minds, the, the, the episode uh, centered around the superhero orgy uh, in, in the boys this last week? Well, as television goes, it was quite out there in terms of like the amount of explicit action you saw. But I mean, no more than, than you would see in other party scenes or whatever, but... Um, the guy with the love dragon or whatever they called it, that was a little bit, a little bit too far, but, um, especially when it gets charred at the end. Oh God. Yeah. And the little, the little guy getting squished by, uh, homeowner's foot. Right. But, um, but then there's the scene where the, the, the guy we saw in the first episode oh, who shrinks down loose. comes up you know yeah. well yeah because he comes up to full size and then he yeah. brushes up against uh yeah. <laughs> against um, and then he opens the door and he gets covered in his yeah and then yeah and he opens the one door and he gets <laughs> sprayed like there's some yeah. pretty over the top stuff yeah in this they, they, that was pretty pretty interesting but the but what i my comment about it was i was trying to tell i forget who was talking to you about it but it's like it's so i mean it, it's so much the superhero story that you know it's just background music, really. You know, like it's funny, right? But the 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 struggle between the you know the reality of or thinking about how would it be if superheroes could actually do this kind of stuff? Like these are all C list superheroes having this orgy, right? According to the story, yeah. but but it was kind of it just it just seemed normal in their life. <laughs> it did. It, it did. It, it didn't mm-hmm, seem like mm-hmm. out there. Like if you walked into a room and people were just like doing it like that, like you know, thinking of like movies like the. Your favorite Tom Cruise movie, uh, Eyes Wide Shut, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or things like that, where you where you walk into rooms and there's like that going on, and you know, yeah. it was it was that movie, I think, yeah, it was yeah. that movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and uh, it's it's a shock when you first see it, but I think I think having seen you know a a person climb into a giant penis in episode one, this is <laughs> like nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely continues to push the envelope this show. Yeah. But it's funny because the, you know, the crux of this episode around the spectacle of this 
is, you know, the conflict between uh, Starlight and Huey, yeah. and the con- or Annie, Annie and Huey, and the the conflict for Mother's Milk with, you know, is he, you know, is he on board with what Butcher and, and Huey are doing? Yeah. And then and he gets covered in Father's Milk. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> oh God! Thank you for going there. <laughs> and um, and then beyond that, you know, obviously, you know, it's still tied into the you know, the Homelander is a raging lunatic, you know, part of this. Yeah. Where, you know, it, this just keeps escalating and escalating and escalating. It's, um, you know, and, and obviously, you know, the episode, you know, has some pretty serious ramifications. And then, you know, also tied into this is the whole arc with um, with A-Train, right? You know, A-Train has been yeah. really struggling with his identity as a black man. I want you to apologize to me. And he's like, dude, I'm really, I'm really, really sorry. I'm really sorry. And he's just like, that's not enough, right? Yeah. But then there's the scene with him and Huey, and that was really interesting. And then there's the scene with him and, uh, what's his name? The, the, the Street guy. Hawker, what, yeah. what was the yeah. guy's name? I mean, do you remember? Grinds him into the ground. Yeah, where he, I mean, he, he he's basically like, enough out of you, you know, and he just drags him to his death and then possibly also yeah, dies. Yeah, also dies, yeah, yeah. Uh, B- Blue Hawk, I think his name was. Blue Hawk, thank you, Blue Hawk. thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, that guy needed to die. He did, I mean, he was clearly a reprehensible scumbucket, but at the same time, like, it may have cost A-Train his life, too, to, to make that... But yeah, I mean, to have that moment of catharsis with Huey, where Huey's like, you know, I want you to apologize to me. He's like, I'm really, really sorry. And you think he meant it in that moment. Like, up until now, A-Train has been an unapologetic jackass. And to finally have him, you know, actually look Huey in the eyes and say, I'm really sorry for, you know, killing your fiance, you know, that's a huge growth moment. And then he follows it up with, like, this spectacular murder and possibly dying. Like, that's 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 a... A lot in an episode with, you know, frozen ice dildos and, and you know, father's milk. Yeah. You know, it's it's such an interesting show that they can go these like, you know, the other show that kind of reminds me of is Rescue Me, right? The Dennis yeah. Leary show where there are episodes where you will find yourself laughing with tears and then having tears like yeah. it, it can really take you on that roller coaster. There's not very many shows that can really sort of thread that needle between like really heavy and really light in the same episode and and have it all work this is this is pretty tricky stuff and it's working well yeah well it's interesting like there's the the violence is so extreme in this show i mean you know the chopping people in half or you know whether it's like with a your laser vision or a samurai sword or what have you i mean and then having this scene just it just seemed like just another day really (laughs) yeah yeah. Wow. More of this, please. More of this show. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, it's, it seemed to be telegraphed that she would quit at the end. They're like, like, I guess the question is now what happens with Homelander versus her, right? Well, yeah. Because. And is Maeve going to come back and help her? Well, and where is Maeve, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Maeve, she talked to Maeve just before all this went down. You think Maeve's been taken away by Homelander? Yeah, because she says in this episode, like, nobody's seen Maeve. Where's Maeve? Because right. Maeve gets, uh, has clearly gone on the wrong side hey, well, of Homelander, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, so. But I thought Maeve was tough. The official story was that she had gone to rehab, I think is what yeah. they, they said. Yeah. Yeah, but, but when Starlight uh, goes and talks to her, like, an episode ago, she says, yeah, that was just a story, and I've been here getting drunk and working out. Or not getting drunk. She says she's been yeah, like, build, building, up, yeah. yeah, building up her, working out, and, as opposed to, like, not working out, to get ready to take on Homelander. Yep. 
Yeah. Well, let's move on to our watch list. So I've, I've just got one thing real quick here. I don't know. Are we talking about the crown on this show? Have we talked about it before? I mean, we've talked about it abstractly. Yeah. Just, just, I think it's interesting that they've just announced the, the, the season. And apparently this isn't the last epi- last season of the crown, hmm. but the woman who's playing queen Elizabeth is the pink lady from the Harry Potter series. Oh, yeah. Okay. The, the, you know, the real nasty. Woman. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh God. What was her name? Yeah, I know the uh, one. Dolores Umbridge and, uh, is the character. There you go. This article Umbridge, says yes, Imelda yeah. Staunton. Yep, that's the actress. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then the guy playing Charles is an interesting dude. And a different character, different woman playing Diana. I thought the girl who played Diana in the first, in the last season was really good. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and then the other thing that I was, I mentioned at the top of the show was uh, The Cage, where I went back because I, you know, for researching for this show, I wanted, I was confused about what happened with Pike and, and Luna. Sorry, not Luna Vega, um, <laughs> and how how they managed to get the footage to put together, you know, him walking off happily at the end of the menagerie, right? Well, so I went back and watched this. It's a really interesting and tough uh, episode to watch. What I found really fascinating about it was all that sort of incidental music that they have, like the you know the alluring falling in love with somebody music and all the battle music that 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 all that kind of stuff is actually in the cage. Mm-hmm. Like it's the, the music and and all that kind of stuff and the characters and the costumes, um, a lot of that stuff. It was a really amazingly put together pilot, even though it's very disconnected from from Star Trek itself. Like some of the things that they say on the on the on the ship and like how they call like Warp Factor Nine. They don't say that kind of stuff. They say it's sort of a weird you know weird way of saying it. But other than that, it, it's very an inter- very interesting episode to watch, and it just stand out on its own. Like it stands up a. As a Star Trek episode goes, so yeah, definitely uh, recommend if you haven't seen the cage. And they and they have redone all the spaceship scenes. Oh, so really? the cage, the cage you see now on on Netflix or Disney or wherever it is, is it Disney or Netflix? I can't remember. But uh, it's or Crave. Crave has Crave, the, all yeah. the Star Trek content here. Yeah, but it's it's the new sort of two thousand eight version. Mm, yeah, mm. So, but it's okay. I mean, like. You know, I, I've forgotten what I've, I've gotten over the fact that I've, I'll never get to see those original spaceships again. Those unless, models are unless you own the DVDs. That's true. Mm-hmm. And I guess we'll throw over to Jaime for the next one. Yeah. Again, um, something we can't watch. Yeah, I don't know how you're going to end up getting this. I, I suspect you will at at some point. Uh, I can't predict what it'll be. The offer on Paramount Plus in the in the USA that is the uh, the story of how the Godfather movie got made. All 10 mm. episodes are now available. It, um, it is maybe the exception that proves the rule around uh, uh, the prequel problem that we've talked about a lot on this show, and that I don't think this suffers from the prequel problem. Like, spoilers, guess what? They make the, one of the best movies of all time by the end of the series. That <laughs> <laughs> still happens. It's not like an alternate reality thing. But the, the twists and turns on getting there were, uh, were pretty interesting. So I, I definitely recommend that. I would say out of the the 10 episodes, the final episode is kind of the victory lap episode, so it feels sort of tonally different than the others, but it's mm. still a pretty enjoyable ride through the first the first nine and then seeing the payoff in the final episode. Yeah, I think it's only available here on Paramount Plus as well. I mean, we talked about how more and more content is being created for that here and in, in you know, we, we were lucky that we get Star Trek through Crave and through CTV Sci-Fi, but I think the the gravy train of lots of, of Paramount Plus content has sort of ended with Star Trek because 
yeah, the, the new South Park stuff, this stuff, it seems like if you want to start watching some of this good programming, you may have to pony up for your Paramount Plus here in Canada, too. Yeah, they might do um, like a special sort of thing here. Like um, Yellowstone has been playing here on some channel. It's um, it's not on Paramount Plus at the moment. Um, and I believe they're doing this, you know, mini marathon or whatever it is that they're doing because they want to push people towards the 1883 prequel to the Yellowstone yep. series, which is on Paramount Plus. So I wouldn't be surprised if I we see, all yeah. ended up getting it. I as think it's a, on Amazon Prime for us. Okay, but, but I wouldn't be surprised. Something. Right. No, I, I get that. But my point is that I don't think it will necessarily be exclusive to Paramount Plus. You might get a, an opportunity to, to see it. Yeah, maybe next uh, Canada Day weekend. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Um, I had a couple things for my list. I really, it was just, I wanted to sort of scan. So once we get to the first of the month, we find out what is coming to all the streaming platforms. And so I took a look to see what we were going to get that sort of fits our, our area of interest. Um, I was interested. So I saw to one that's not on here is that Spider-Man uh, Homecoming showed up on Disney Plus today here in Canada. And I'm not sure if it's also in the, in the States. I mean, maybe you can confirm that. But that's interesting because that's the first um, of the new Sony Disney movies to show up there. But then we also got news that Spider-Man No Way Home is premiering uh, for, if you have the subscription, uh, on Amazon Prime on July 15th here in Canada. We talked about sort of where it might end up, given the fact that it's... In that murky Sony Disney, you know, vortex. But yeah, apparently mm -hmm. here in Canada, it's available on Amazon Prime starting on July 15th. Mm -hmm. And a couple other nice sort of pieces, things that I want to see, but unfortunately didn't either get to the theater or, you know, make the effort. But last night in Soho, the uh, Edgar Wright film is coming to Crave on July 22nd here in Canada. Um, and I, I think it might already be on HBO in the States. Uh, or HBO Max. And then Uncharted is coming uh, to Amazon Prime at the end of the month on July 29th here in Canada as well. So uh, there's a few movies in there. I mean, I, I have only seen No Way Home the one time when we saw it in the theater, so I would look forward to seeing that again. And um, yeah, Last Day in Soho, I wanted to get out, but that was the pandemic was going pretty strong at that point so we we didn't really make an effort for that one same thing with uncharted i i i like the ingredients i've heard mixed reviews not not super high but i think again when it's available to stream on your television set at home it's probably uncharted uncharted yeah yeah definitely, yeah, it's so definitely watch. a watch for something that you've already paid the subscription subscription fee for so yeah mm -hmm. that's definitely on my on my to-do list so yeah so not all in all like a nice mix of stuff plus obviously into july you know yeah we're still we're going to wrap up uh strange new worlds westworld is going to carry into this month we've got a couple more episodes of ms marvel so this um and then stranger things dropped two new episodes this weekend to wrap up season four and then on top of that, we've got Umbrella Academy. So there's still a ton of content this month um, sort of trickling in. i got to be honest, I'm kind of hoping at some point some of this peters out a little bit so you can catch up. You know, <laughs> yeah. like I'm, I love the Umbrella Academy, but I haven't even started it yet because yeah, there's just so much other stuff to catch up on. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's just a lot of stuff right now. But it, it, again, not a bad problem to have. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So I guess... Jonathan, people want to get touch with you, where would they find you? You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News. And Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you on the interrupts, where do they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. 
All right. My name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. And so until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 <laughs> Bye. You've been listening to the Spotcast podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. efficient and painless yeah it worked out worked out all right well, except for the little hiccup there yeah i mean this is the only time we have to do this one because tim you'll be back in ontario by the by next week and well no i'll be driving friday saturday leaving friday staying in montreal driving home saturday so we're we gonna do next thursday here uh, are you here next thursday yeah we're either we're either gonna leave on thursday or on friday to go down to nova scotia yeah we could yeah, I mean, we don't obviously we want to miss next week's episode just because it's the season finale of Strange New World. Finale, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, what's today? Today's Saturday, though. Yep. Yeah. So you're saying Thursday, right? Gotcha. Yep. I'll follow you now. You there? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, we can obviously we can continue figuring it out, but maybe we'll do next Thursday. I'm told from up upstairs that the uh, natives would like to come back and use the basement. So. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we can uh, talk to you next week. I mean. Until next time, it sounds like Thursday as usual. Yep. Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you in about two seconds, John. Okay. Talk to you later. Okay. Good night, Jaime. Have a good Bye. weekend, Jaime. Happy July 4th. Yeah. Happy July 4th. Hey, have a good weekend, too. Bye. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.